Hey, everybody. I want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And man, does it get hard sometimes. That is why we do what we do on these podcast episodes. My name is Mitch Schultz. I'm your host. I'm also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry. Well, my apologies if you are following these podcasts regularly, and it seems like a number of you do. It has been a month since I've put one out. Uh, Just had a lot of other things going on, and I'm finally back, I think, to a regular rhythm where I should get these things out uh, about every two to three weeks. So um, I trust that if you're one of my two listeners, that that will encourage you. Uh, Hey, like many of you, um, I've been reeling over stories that have come out in the the last years of, uh, particularly in the last, this last year of great Christian leaders, mostly men, who have fallen really hard. And perhaps the most disorienting one for me, and I know for many of you, were the allegations that have come out uh, about Ravi Zachariah and finding out also that uh, those have been verified, many of those, but that there are more severe accusations that will come up uh, that have been proven to be true, and even RZIM through their lawyer has come out and made a statement. So very sad, um, and it's something I want to reflect on today. Uh, How do we respond to these events? Uh, What is this doing for the church, or what is it doing to the church? Why does this even happen to people that we look up to and admire and then find out that they have uh, these fatal flaws, these deeply sinful patterns, and have uh, even been living a complete double life? Uh, here's, a, here's a question that's been personal to me. Why, why should this be good for our faith, where it forces us, it forces me to look inward at my own sinful tendencies and uh, uh, causes me to want to repent daily, to confess my sins, and to be really sensitive to the effect of the, uh, the world and the flesh in my walk with Christ. Uh, how can this end up being good for the gospel? Well, not long ago, I ran into a blog that was online written by Pastor Nick Stumbo, and the title of the article was this, Ravi Zacharias and Sexual Misconduct Among Christian Leaders. So I did what I often will do when something uh, captures my attention. I reached out to Pastor Stumbo to discuss this particular case, but also more generally the question of what we can learn from it. Nick is a third-generation pastor, uh, had pastored for some years with the Christian Missionary Alliance in Washington, and uh, serving as their lead pastor for more than a decade, Nick observed the fallout of sexual brokenness and devastation in the lives of men and women in the church, and recognized, like never before, the need for a culture of grace in the church, and confronted with his own addiction to pornography, Nick and his wife Michelle found hope and healing through counseling and group ministries of Pure Desire uh, Ministries, and that is uh, now what Nick is executive director of, and he continues to believe that the church can become a place of healing and that Pure Desire is leading the way. His passion for the church and the ministry is very evident, and I will link that uh, ministry to the website. So, uh, all right, let's go ahead and jump into that interview now. All right, well, I have the privilege of talking to Nick Stumbo, who is in Portland, Oregon. It's good to have you part of this conversation here today, Nick. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Mitch. Glad to be here and have these very important conversations. Yeah, this uh, this came out of a of an article or a blog that you wrote, uh, which uh, I thought I thought was a brave. It was it was a courageous uh, topic, um, and particularly on the on the fall of spiritual leaders, and and your focus was uh, uh, was primarily addressing Ravi Zachariah. Uh, so what we're going to talk about, the title for this is when, when our spiritual leaders fail us. And I, I did put in parentheses, need a better title. So I might <laughs> change that. Yeah. Uh, but so that's what we're going to be broaching. And this comes out of obviously uh, a burden that, that you have that, that has some history you're, yeah. you're pastoring, but also in the ministry. So tell, tell us a little bit about yourself, about your ministry, uh, what led you to do what you're doing and maybe even what led you to Talk about the subject of that article. Yeah, yeah. Well, I grew up uh, in a pastor's family. I'm a actually was a third generation pastor in the Christian Missionary Alliance, and um, pastored at a CMA church in Southwest Washington State for uh, 14 and a half years. 
12 of those years, I was the lead pastor. And during my time as the pastor, I had to face my ongoing struggles with pornography. Um, and uh, thankfully, I had a, a board of elders that I had been honest with early on, even as an associate, and they had shown some grace and compassion. And so when it really came to a, a head where I needed counseling and to, to really walk a journey of freedom, I knew they were supportive and, and they were, and they were a part of that journey with me. And it, it was really the transformation that took place in our lives, in my life and my marriage through Pure Desire Ministries that led to, I'd say, a revolution of the way we did ministry, the way we did church, uh, the way we approached leadership that we just saw created so much health in our congregation. I always tell people that the ministry of Pure Desire and the groups that we started because of it was really the most effective discipleship tool our church ever had because it mm. got people into the root of their issues and into the, the real roots of their brokenness. And as God met them there, and as Christ brought transformation into some deep core wounds and lies they were listening to, it, it just created, um, I, I think, a kind of leadership structure that we never anticipated. And mm -hmm. so that was exciting to see. And that led to ongoing connection with Pure Desire Ministries. And then four and a half years ago, uh, as they saw the need for a succession of leadership, they asked if I would come on board as the executive director. And so uh, we stepped out of full-time ministry in the local church to do this full-time and yet still have a real heart for the local church, because that's really what Pure Desire is about, is coming alongside of the local church and trying to equip them to become the healing place where men and women can face their issues with pornography and all forms of sexual brokenness. You know, we, we believe the church can be the healing place and that it's not just something you need to outsource to a professional counselor. Um, there's, there's definitely a need and a time and a place for professional counseling, but Really, the, the core of the healing process is men and women meeting in same gender, committed groups, going through a process together that we find leads to long-term transformation. Uh, and so that's what we do as a ministry. Uh, I get to connect with a lot of churches and other ministries. We, we partner with a number of denominations to provide a, a safe space for their leaders to get help. Um, and then we're involved in writing a lot of curriculum and workbooks for local churches to use. We've We've got about 30 different books and workbooks that we sell primarily, again, to use in that small group experience mm -hmm. in the local church setting. So okay. uh, that's Excellent. a snapshot of, of what we do. Yeah, I, I love it. I love it. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll put the website. I, I looked over it or through it quite thoroughly and just just really impressed with how uh, how intentional it is. And and uh, I, I agree with you that that healing happens best in community. Yeah. Uh, you know, too often we. Uh, sometimes might even send our leaders off to secretly get help. And then we'll, we'll use you again when, you know, you're back on your feet. But uh, the, you know, the yeah. stories I've heard that are the most redemptive have been when people have been honest about their brokenness and, and then also embraced by, by others. Uh, so love to hear that. Um, so obviously what, you know, this ministry, this, this burden passion you have led you to rights and and this will be, uh, by the way, I did I did an interview with Mark Dancy from Atlanta specifically on the topic of, of pornography uh, and the pastor. So I'll I'll put a link again to on the website for that, and yeah. people can reference. Uh, but you wrote a blog some time ago, and it was very specific: uh, Ravi Zachariah and sexual misconduct among Christian leaders. So my question is, why did you write that? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question, and I, I think like many people, I you know, watched Ravi Zacharias as he had his public ministry and, you know, grieved that he had passed away in 2020 and just seeing the loss of, a, I think, a real Christian leader and someone that many of us respected. And, and then to have all of this information coming out about things that were happening in secret and sexual misconduct. And it it feels like an all too familiar pattern that, mm -hmm. that another leader's name comes up and we all kind of go, oh, that's too bad. And that's horrible. But it feels to me like we continue to, in a sense, dismiss it as an isolated incident, primarily about that person. And what I'm seeing because of my own story, my role at Pure Desire, the hundreds and hundreds of men I've sat with and heard their stories, what I really see in Christian leadership is systemic. It's a way that we approach leaders, a way that we train them, and how we um, create that leadership position that I think really Lends, its, lends itself to an environment where Christian leaders get stuck in these patterns of sexual misconduct and there are no pathways out. There are no pathways 
towards help and freedom. And so I think the blog was my attempt to say, we can't just say, oh, that's horrible what Ravi did and shame on him and how could he and, and I'll move on. Mm-hmm. I think we really need to analyze how we look at Christian leadership and what it means for someone to be in leadership. Otherwise, this is going to keep happening. And I think that's really my heart's cry to say, I'm, I am tired of this. I am mm-hmm. tired yeah, yeah. of Christian leaders who are being used for great things, then being exposed to have an under uh, a story underneath an in, internal life that is not being restored and redeemed by Jesus. And I, I really think it doesn't have to be that way. And mm-hmm. so I'm hopeful that maybe this will spark those conversations that are needed to create really paradigm changes in how we train, equip, call, and, and really um, follow people in leadership. So yeah. that was kind yeah. of my heart behind it. Yeah. And, and we might, we might want to emphasize here too, that, uh, you know, because this is being investigated uh, but even RZIM has come out and acknowledged a, a good bit of it, although it's not yeah. completed yet. So I want I want to make sure that we we mention that so it doesn't appear that we're being speculative yeah. and we're, we're yeah, speaking and time, about a specific. By the time this here. comes out, the full report may be done. What what I was responding to was the the official investigation relieved a, what they call I guess a midpoint or a midway report that said. Not only can we confirm that the things that have already been said publicly are accurate, but that there's much more as well that we'll release soon. So yeah, yeah. it really verified that there's a lot here and there's I a lot more to come, which is yeah, better. What, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so there's, there's, I think I see two objectives with what we're doing here today is, is number one to, uh, to see this, this, uh, what you refer to as the systemic uh, thing that's going on of of leaders who are living a double life, but I, I think we need help with our reaction too. So some of the questions that yeah. I'm going to be yeah. uh, offering to you here is is to help us deal with the shock reaction to this. So we'll we'll be kind of weaving those two things together. What led you to be you know because uh, sometimes people can be evasive when they're you know referencing an incident, and you know we don't want to be specific. We want to respect you. You were very direct in this blog, not just with who, but with, but with what, um, some, some people might also say, Hey, he's, he's passed away. The facts are not out. Uh, so what led you to be as specific as you were? Yeah. I, you know, I think in this, the story of Ravi, there is such a discontinuity for all of us between what we saw of him. What, I mean, I didn't know the man personally. I'd just followed from a distance, read his books, heard his talks, and and so impressed just by his level of spiritual insight, um, his understanding of God's word, and then to read the the actual details of what had been confirmed. It's like it's describing two totally mm-hmm. different world uh, worlds, and so to me that was the need for some specificity or being accurate with details. Is like this is what is actually happening, and I, I think there is a tendency for us to want to turn away and just gloss over something or just, you know, well, shame on Ravi and let's all move on. But I I really think there's something to be learned here, especially because of how, like I said, how dramatic the difference is between what we saw and knew of him and what is coming out now that that gap, I think, begs the questions, okay, what, what happened here? What was missed that could have prevented some of this? And, and so that's where I felt like if we can allow the, confrontive nature of what is coming out to, to shock us appropriately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that may lead to the kind of change we need to take when it comes to how we vet leaders and, and do church leadership in general. Well, let me, let me ask it in, in a broad way here, and then we can move into it a little more closely. Uh, why does this happen? Yeah, I, I think there are a number of things we could look at. For me, I, I start with the way that Christian leaders are trained. Um, I don't know of a single Bible college or seminary program that specifically trains men and women in their own human sexuality and development. Mm-hmm. So we, we disciple people in prayer, in scripture reading. We train them how to exegete the Bible and preach and start a ministry or plant a church. But I, I don't have a single story of someone who said, oh, and my leadership trained and discipled me into how to have a healthy emotional and sexual life, hmm. how to follow Christ in that area. And so in our training of young men and young women, we assume that their emotional and sexual health grows with their spiritual or theological health. 
And the reality is that that's just not the case, that you can become an expert in all things theology and Bible and history, but yet remain incredibly immature and underdeveloped in your response to other people and how you're treating your own sexuality. And so I, I think that's the starting point. Yeah, and you, you make a great statement in the, in the blog. We, you say, we assume their personal, emotional, and sexual health are growing at the same pace as their ministry capability. Um, why, why do we assume this? And, and well, I guess, I guess you are talking about the lessons we can learn from it. I mean, the lesson we can learn from it is don't assume that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, it may be because we want them to go together. Um, yeah. It may be because in, in the church in general, and, and I think in a lot of the, the groups that are doing these interviews, we don't know how to ask these kind of questions. We've We've not really been trained ourselves in how to have healthy conversations about human sexuality and development. And, and so we, we, did, we tend to ask some very general questions like, you know, do you have any struggles with sexual immorality or pornography? And in many cases, it's a yes, no question. And, mm-hmm. and they say no. Um, and often, as I hear the stories, it's because they've rationalized and justified and minimized a lot of behavior. So they say no, not just to be a complete liar, but in as much good faith as they can, they know that that's kind of a standard question that if, well, if I say yes, I probably won't get the job and, and I'm working on it, you know, and last time I struggled was the last time. So, Hey, yeah, I'm better. Mm-hmm. And, and it's that combination of a leader that doesn't know how to be honest about their struggles and hasn't really ever been invited into that. And then we've got councils and elder boards and vetting organizations that, also aren't real comfortable knowing how to ask the questions or how to help someone if they say, yes, I'm struggling. And so we just, I, I find it's the great taboo topic in the church. We, yeah. Yeah. We it, it is. It, and we all move on and then, yeah. you know, believe that it will be fine. Yeah. I was meeting with a college student not long ago and he was talking about this uh, and he said, why, why is it the thing that, that people struggle with the most are the thing we talk about the least? Exactly. And, and uh, he wanted to talk about it. You know, it's, it, it was, it was something that he found real value and encouragement when he could just be very upfront uh, with the struggle. Well, we're going to, we're going to talk in, in a little bit about the system that surrounds particularly, you know, well-known people, but let me, let me read something else that, and I, I struggle a little bit with this, not in a way that I was pushing back with what you were saying, but I had to kind of deeply process this and let me read this and then get to the part that um, I need you to help me with here. <laughs> uh, you, you write, this is the life of this. This is the life of a public minister, whether they are known and followed by 50 people or 50 million people, they have grown adept at putting on the good show and performing the role that everyone expects of them, even when their interior person doesn't line up in actuality. And here's a truth you might be missing. They aren't doing this on purpose These leaders aren't trying to live a double life, uh, not most of them anyway. So I guess you do make that caveat there. Uh, But most of them are trying, desperately trying to live as God-honoring life, a God-honoring life, uh, doing a ministry they have uh, called to do and banish the deeply troubling and wholly inconsistent conduct from their lives. Uh, How do you you, uh, respond to someone who pushes back and suggest maybe that uh, there is a double life. There is, I mean, even as we try to process uh, the story with Ravi, there was, it sounds like there was something predatory or abusive about this. So um, how do you balance that between struggling and this sort of more toxic, abusive kind of behavior or lifestyle? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a great question. And the way I look at it is what we see, like, as we're now discovering the whole story in Ravi's life, we are seeing the outcome of what I would suggest is a very, very long pattern in the making. Mm-hmm. So by the end of his life, and I think when a leader is exposed to this degree, at that point, yes, many are living a double life because they have, they have, they have worked themselves into a place where they have no other choice, but to either expose it and deal with this incredible pain of what they're doing and the humiliation of it, or to continue covering up and hiding and denying. So when I suggest that they're not doing it on purpose, I, it may have been better had I worded it somehow to say it initially at the beginning, um, in the early stages of someone's life, because that is kind of what we do with ministry is, man, if you can preach well and lead well and, and people love it and it feels good and it feels right. And, and then there's these 
things under the surface that I don't know how to deal with and people don't want to hear about it and there's really nowhere to go with it. And so in this double bind, I just deal with it by myself. But in dealing with it by myself, it doesn't get better. It only continues to grow worse. I mean, Ravi Zacharias himself is the one most known for saying that that sin will take you further than you meant to go, keep you longer than you meant to stay, and cost you more than you ever thought you'd pay. And, and I think that's the trajectory of it. it leads us to places that the double life does become the choice that many make. But early on, I think it's simply this cry of, Lord, help me never to do that again. I don't want to go there. I want to honor you. Um, and, and they're trying their best to figure this out. But because it doesn't change, because as we talked about earlier, because change comes through community, through, you know, excellent wisdom of someone who's mentoring us and leading us, comes through confession and repentance and a transformation in our thinking, those things don't happen in isolation. And so in isolation, the problem grows. And that's that's what I just wanted to suggest is to help people recognize that the leader that gets caught up in this, that's not the life or the outcome they wanted either. Mm. Now, I mean, and there may be exceptions or rare cases where someone with a truly deceptive heart and evil purposes is just using ministry purely to cover up their you know secret life as they wish but i would i would anticipate or conjecture that as a tiny minority of people that we're talking about men and women who enter because they feel called to ministry want to honor god with their life but they have this area that that they don't know how to invite the lordship of christ in and they keep stumbling and then in the way we've set up christian leadership there's nowhere for them to go with it and so the struggle just continues to grow and grow and grow. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, great great answer. And, yeah. And and I wonder if as things come out is hopefully we'll hear too that there was this uh, you know maybe effort to seek help early on and it was it was you know perhaps ignored and um and and I I mean this is an encouragement to any of us who are approached by someone is don't don't downplay it, don't diminish it. Don't undermine, the, you know, the, the 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 agony or burden that someone's carrying that they're wanting you to help help them with. Yeah. The other thing I would throw in with that, real quick, is just that, that we need to we need to be aware of how um, how quickly things can escalate when there's not help available, mm-hmm. and and just recognize, like what I would say in my own story to go to my elders when I was a 23-year-old associate pastor and say, hey, I'm struggling with sexual immorality or integrity in my life, and could you pray for me? That was one thing. If I were to do the same thing as a 43-year-old, the director of Pure Desire, mm-hmm. now that that level of admitting yeah. what I has become much greater. And I wonder for someone like Ravi, if that's a part of it too, the, the more important, quote unquote, you get, and the more followers you have, it's like, how how could I admit to these things? How could I let people down and even convince yourself it's what's well, better to just hide it. It's better yeah. for the people that are listening to my sermons that I not tell them because otherwise, and, and so in that self-deception, it becomes just something that can't be talked about and it gets harder the more someone grows in ministry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Wade Mueller, I, I don't know if you've heard uh, of him. He wrote a book called Something Is Not Right, and I'm probably halfway through reading it right now. But he talks about the systems that exist around the, the pastor that sometimes protects him um, and, and empowers him or even enables him to continue uh, living in sin. Related to that, you, you write this, and I thought this was a great statement. The environment that we create in Christian ministry uh, inadvertently encourages a leader to perform well and hide the negative issues of their personal life. Um, and it, this is this is a straight out, rather blunt question here. You and I are part of the same denomination. Uh, how is this a challenge to our denomination, given that someone like Ravi uh, was licensed with us? Yeah, you know, I, I think, for particularly for de- denominations coming out of the holiness movement and that you know, that emphasis on the personal life of sanctification. And, and there are many, what I would say are safe or appropriate ways we can admit to weaknesses or flaws. But but there are some areas and chief among them being our sexuality that is just the taboo topic. I mean, I I don't know about you, Mitch, I have never heard of a pastor being removed for gluttony, um, for, you know, having an obsession with possessions or wealth. 
I've never heard one being removed for, for pride or arrogance. I mean, that can go in different directions, mm-hmm. but you know, if it came out that someone was struggling with sexual things, it's, there's like an immediate, yeah. well, you're disqualified. And so that I think is the pressure of saying, we, we can allow you to be human in a lot of ways, but there's other ways. If, if we find out that you're a human being with flaws, well, then you're disqualified. And, and I just wonder if we've created an expectation that is unrealistic for a lot of people going into ministry that are human beings that yes, are in the process of being sanctified and becoming more like Christ, but are still sinful, broken people. And so because we expect the leader to have it all together, we don't allow them to be real. We don't allow them to have flaws. And I'm, I'm not saying everybody needs to know everything about every pastor and that we should be, you know, airing our dirty laundry in every sermon but I think every pastor needs to have places where they go and they're not the pastor. They're just Jim and Bill and Bob and Nick, and they can say, I'm a sinner. And everyone in the room goes, yeah, we know. Mm-hmm. So are we. And, and they deal with all that stuff rather than be like, well, we don't, you know, we don't really talk about that here. You know, because I've, I've been to a lot of gatherings of, you know, small groups of pastors where we're trying to do soul work. And even there, you know, we can talk about burnout safely. We can talk about discouragement. We could even talk about places we're questioning our faith, and that seems very kosher and accepted. But if if you started to open up and saying, I'm really struggling with lust and pornography, it's like the room goes silent. We're like, mm-hmm. we don't know how to deal with it. And so somehow we have to allow human sexuality to be a topic that a leader can discuss, that can be part of their growth and development. And I'm not saying we abandon standards. I'm not saying that, well, hey, we should just accept if a pastor is looking at pornography. No, I I, I believe firmly we still need to call sin, sin and have standards, but also recognize that a leader could sin and still be a leader because we all do every day, right? Mm-hmm. We, we sin in some way. It's just that we've categorized some sins to say, well, well, those are off limits and those you'll lose your career. And so no one talks about them when the reality is we're all sexual beings. We all have questions and issues that need to be worked out in our sexuality. And if we could just create environments where that was well welcomed, even for a pastor, I think we could see people walking in health and freedom rather than isolation, secretiveness, and silence. Yeah, two, two things I'm thinking of as you're, as you're saying all this. Uh, n- number one, everyone, every pastor, every individual needs someone uh, who knows everything about you. Uh, I mean, that, that's probably overstated, but I think there needs to be uh, I've got two or three guys that that pretty much know everything about me, and we talk regularly about these kind of things. Uh, the second thing, the the most wonderful uh, display of the gospel is where there has been sorrow over sin, repentance, mm-hmm. confession, and then the uh, assurance of pardon. Uh, you know, I mean that that's the gospel on display. And so we should encourage one another to be open and honest, because that, again, is it shows what Christ does when we admit that we're sinners and that we we need him. Yes. Uh, I, I don't know if you. Um, oh, let me let me ask you this again, a rather pointed question. And you can you you can tell me that I've crossed the line here um, when we talked about the denomination and, the, you know, the, the systems that maybe protect someone. Uh, should there be more, should we be expecting more now from not necessarily, uh, let's maybe generalize it more, but when this sort of thing happens, because I, I, I talked to a lot of pastors who are uh, kind of just waiting, what are we going to hear? What are our leaders going to say? Uh, we need a statement. I mean, RZIM came, uh, you know, up, uh, kind of a uh, anticipated this, made a statement. I think it was helpful. It, it told us that they're dealing with it. Um, how do you reflect on that with our own tribe? Yeah, like I mentioned, I, I think when the full report comes out on this investigation, it's, it's going to be messy and ugly and, and disappointing and disheartening. And you know, I'm, I'm sure the CMA will make some statements and comments about that. And I Again, in, in my writing of the blog, it, it's really less about Ravi and more about, okay, what about the rest of us? Um, yeah. And what does, that, what does that look like to do leadership well? I mean, one of the things that I think about is I, I really feel that every pastor and leader needs, whether it's annual or every couple of years, a, a very significant sit-down conversation with someone who is in leadership above them um, that is a, a kind of health checkup where, where they walk through 
how are you doing in your personal life? How are you doing in your marriage? How are you doing with lust and pornography and, and being faithful to your vows? How are you doing with your finances? How, like, not, and not in an interrogative, we're trying to find out the bad stuff so we can punish you kind of feel, but really in a redemptive restorative to say, hey, we, we know that you're a human being with mm-hmm. flaws and sins, and we want to make sure you're e- supported and equipped and resourced to be in ministry for the long haul. We want you to retire as a pastor. And so we know there's a lot of issues that could derail you. And we're, we're here, we're on your side. As leaders, we're not here to, to punish you for not being perfect. We're here to help you grow and mature and be discipled. And so I, I, would, I would love it if that was an outcome of this to say, we're, we're not just going to wait around for another story to come out. We're going to redemptively be involved in people's lives uh, and moving them into those conversations. Um, so that when something is discovered, rather than being a, well, okay, we, we found out you looked at pornography, so now you're out of ministry until you're clean for six months. What if instead we said, we know this is a common struggle for men. We'd like to get you involved in a, a significant counseling process. We'd like to provide something for your wife if she needs that. We'd like to help pay for the process. Like Now, now suddenly as a pastor, I would feel supported. I would feel that, oh, my my leaders don't just want me to perform and, and act like I'm okay. They actually want to help me be okay. And so I, I don't know if that will be an outcome. That's something I'm hopeful mm-hmm. of um, because I, I think the unfortunate outcome can be, we, we all look in horror at what happened to Ravi and everyone says, wow, I hope nobody else does that. And those that are struggling, it can actually have the counter message of saying, exactly. wow, I better not yeah. tell anyone. Yeah. If yeah. this news comes out, I lose my license. You know, there's an investigation. This is horrible. So, um, that, that's the direction it could go. And I honestly hope that it doesn't. Yeah. I mean, we've heard stories too, of where guys, uh, you're probably a little younger, uh, to remember Gordon McDonald, or perhaps you, you do, uh, I think he was with, um, uh, navigators. I, I forget. He was a Christian leader and a pastor, but he, uh, he had confessed this ended up, uh, well, he wrote a book called ordering your private world, which was all about yeah. this thing. And then, and then he failed, and acknowledged it and then wrote a second book, Rebuilding Your Broken World. And that resonated more than the first book because the first book is like, man, you're yeah. setting, setting a high standard here. But through your confession, your honesty, your willingness to go through discipline, uh, that spoke to a lot of people. And I think that helped a lot of people. Uh, so, you know, when, when any of us confess and admit that we struggle, it's good for us and it's good for other people. And, uh, you know, had, had, and again, maybe the story will come out that people like Ravi did confess to someone, you know, towards the end of his life. We, we don't know. Uh, it'll be refreshing, awfully refreshing if we hear that. Um, but if he had, I mean, what, what would that look like for someone of that caliber to, to confess? What would, what would be the fallout? Because again, this is what keeps guys from, from doing it is what they will lose. Yeah. Well, I think it starts in a, a fundamental understanding of how we look at confession, because mm-hmm. I think for, for myself, you know, when I was caught up in that binge purge battle with pornography and for so many others, we view confession as the goal that if, if I could just do James five, if I could confess my sins, you know, one to another and be prayed for, I'd be healed. And, and we still kind of have this come to the altar mentality of come to the altar you know, confess it, get it all out and receive this healing and you'll be better. Then, and that's the goal. And, and I'm, I'm not saying mm. those aren't good things that, that I, and I, there's incredible value in confession. I believe in the healing service. Absolutely. But I think the fundamental shift is we need to see confession as the starting point, not the goal. Mm-hmm. Confession is what opens the door in my mind to transformation. Mm-hmm. And it's the ongoing confession. I, I really believe that's the state of the verb and in the Greek in James five is confessing the ongoing action of continuing to confess and living a confession kind of lifestyle. That's just open all the time. That's what I feel was needed in Ravi's life. Maybe many decades ago, Yeah, he was as a leader living in a state of, of confessing. And when, when he did confess to someone, you know, a level of behavior that involved other people um, that, that crossed some of those, what are definitive lines that I believe require action that there should have been a process in place where someone could say, we want to connect you with a counselor. We want to connect you with a, a program of change and transformation, like, you know, what, what pure desire can do. 
and and if you know then necessary when when there are lines crossed i think every denomination needs to have lines that we say if if these certain parameters are are crossed then a person needs to uh, step out of ministry for a time perhaps have their license suspended but i think as we would all say what if the goal of that was redemptive and restorative versus mm-hmm. punitive mm-hmm. and condemning yeah. and i think that's what keeps people from confessing is they do fear that the punishment or the sense of i've lost it all versus saying if if i were to confess this the posture of my denomination is to actually help me get whole and yes there may be very real and difficult consequences i have to face um, but but I think we all see the healthy side of consequences. The consequences are what bring transformation uh-huh. and facing the music leads us to a place of sober judgment of ourself and the change that needs to happen. And if it's so if it's done in a spirit of redemptive and re, you know restoration, I think we could actually get to a place where leaders long for confession because uh-huh. they know it's the open door into good, healthy transformation. Versus seeing confession as, well, it's going to be all this hard, painful stuff, and I'm going to be punished and humiliated and, and removed from ministry. So I, that's a little bit what I think, again, the, the further, in, in my opinion, and I think some of this will maybe bear out when we hear the full story, the further Ravi went into ministry without facing these things, mm-hmm. the more difficult it became. Yeah, and That's my heart cry when I talk to leaders is to say, most of us aren't at the extent that Ravi got to. Mm-hmm. And and we're probably telling ourselves something that, well, I would never, you know, I would never do that. I would never go that far. I, and yet how many of us maybe in our current struggles with lust or pornography or finances or whatever, if we were honest, we probably at some point did something that we had earlier in life said, I would never do that. Mm-hmm. And so it continues to shift and grow. And so my, my challenge, my encouragement to every leader is why would we wait? Why would we wait for it to get to any other level or extreme, like if there's anything in our life right now that we know doesn't please the Lord, has a habitual nature to it, even if that pattern is every few months or a couple of times a year, like a few times a year can still be a pattern if it continues mm-hmm. to happen mm-hmm. when we've promised God or others we would never do it again. And I say if, if we're in that, even at a, what we might consider culturally at a low level, well, great. Let's deal with it. Deal with it at the low level. Face the little bit of embarrassment to get the help that can lead to long-term transformation and freedom. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, yeah, Mark Dancy, who I referenced earlier that I did a podcast with, he he, he mentioned that one of the reasons why uh, guys continue to do this because they enjoy it. Uh, you know, so that people are not always wanting to get out of it because it's controlling them. There is there is that reality too that. Uh, the, the sin nature uh, likes this and there has to be conviction from the outside uh, because we, we do become numb uh, sometimes to our own yes. sin. And it does take others saying, Hey, uh, you know, I just want to warn you or caution you that this is going to be uh, further damaging to your marriage, to your relationship with your church. Uh, but, but yeah, I love what you said earlier that this, uh, you used the word transformational and I was going to mention it's, it's restorative too. And you did, you did include wow. that. Uh, it, it can restore a, not just our relationship with the Lord, but our marriage, other relationships. Uh, so transformation, restoration are, are the, the great motivations for, yeah. for confession. Yeah. I, I love that. Thanks for, for mentioning that. Um, so a couple more things, you know, a lot of people, they hear this sort of thing. It's, it's disillusioning. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it's discouraging. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's confusing. It's disorienting to people. And I've talked to some who are just trying to, you know, deal with this and it's affecting their, uh, their perception of, of leaders. I, I think we're going to see a fallout of celebrity pastors from this and COVID I think is strangely the timing of that. Uh, I think we're going to look up less to individuals than yeah. we have before. Um, but what, how would you, how would you respond to someone who's just really discouraged uh, because of this and it's disillusioning? It might even be affecting their faith. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things I look at in, in all of these stories, while I, I truly believe the person's behavior is something we should grieve, I, it's something that needed to be addressed and wasn't. 
what I also see, as I mentioned in the blog, I, I believe their call into ministry was true, mm-hmm. that at some point they had a sincere heart to serve the Lord, that God gifted them. And as we know throughout scripture, God used very broken vessels to accomplish his purposes, and at times even used um, enemy kings and kingdoms to accomplish his purposes. And so that, that might be one encouragement is to just say, the way that God used a person to speak to us, I think, is not invalidated because we find their personal life was in shambles. That's good. Yeah. The way the spirit was speaking, the words, you know, it was the word of God that what Ravi was using that, that I think compelled me and the way the word of God was revealed. It wasn't, there was nothing about Ravi, the man. And I think we need to remember that with every leader that, that the leader is there to help facilitate my walk with Christ and help draw me to him. But but the goal and the source and the, the object of my faith is Christ and his word, not the man or woman in leadership. And so that's as true for Ravi as it is for any local pastor or leader. And I, I think we all need to remember that. Uh, the other side of the, the discouragement, I, I, on the one hand, I would say we should be discouraged by this. Mm-hmm. We should grieve mm-hmm. this. This should hurt to the point of saying we, we've got to help leaders and not just continue to see this happen. But the third thing I, I would say it, it can help when we maybe look inside and realize, you know, there, there are broken places in me where I still mm-hmm. don't do the things I wish I was doing. And, and in that sense, we're all a bit like Robbie. We're all in this boat together saying, I, I have places I need to be redeemed and experience Christ's work in me. And so whether, again, you're leading the huge national ministry or just someone serving in your local church, like that's the place we're in the boat together. It's, it's the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer that I mentioned in the, in the blog, just about how we've learned to be together as saints, but really we need to learn to be together as sinners mm-hmm. because we are all sinners. And, and I know, you know, we're in Christ. We're no longer, our identity has changed. I, I understand that, but at a fundamental level, like we still sin and, and we're still in the process of becoming like Christ. And I think the more we can find a place of relating to one another, like that, a place of grace, and a, a, a place of acceptiveness, not accepting the behavior, you know, not again, not rationalizing or minimizing away sin. We still want to call sin, sin. But if we can accept that we're in this boat together of learning to become like Christ, there's something about that that I have always found draws people together more than any Christian performance or class or theology ever will. And so I, I hope if we're discouraged, that's something we'll take out of it is to say, in my context right now with the people I'm around, how can I kind of let go of some of the performance needs, the, the attempts that I make to appear spiritual? How can I just enter in to say, I'm, I'm a fallen human being and I'm in this boat with you learning to be more like Christ. And if we could do that together more, I think the kind of leadership that would, would emerge out of that kind of environment would be healthy leadership rooted in our brokenness, but also in Christ's redemption and able to deal openly with both, both our brokenness and the redemption and healing and freedom that Christ can bring. Yeah, that's good. I, I wrote here that one of the benefits that these sort of things have on me uh, is it makes me makes me look inwardly at my own soul. Uh, I, I I'm prompted to confess more, to repent more, to re, you know, to reflect more on my own sinfulness. The quote that you uh, referenced from Bonhoeffer, uh, he said this, many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. <laughs> so we remain alone with our sin, uh, living in lies and hypocrisy. And the fact is that we are sinners and it's, we're in good company that this is our, 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 our common denominator in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, Nick, to, to finish up here, you, you offer five ways to be proactive. And I, I love how you, you, kind of wrapped up your your blog with some some real practical steps. And let me just mention each. And if you could, you did mention one or two of these. Um, but first of all, we need to rethink our pastoral training and seminary programs. And you did elaborate on that. Uh, the second one is we must ask better questions in our licensing and ordination pro- ordination process. Are you are you seeing that part catching on? Uh, slowly. Uh, <laughs> You're still trying to I'm, convince them, huh? Yeah, I'm grateful. Just last week, I sat down with the, the leaders in my district, and we had that very conversation to say, okay, as we're licensing and ordaining young men, um, mm-hmm. as we're licensing young women, how, how do we make this more of a conversation mm-hmm. and not just, well, do you struggle or not? Yes, no questions. It's like, 
tell us about your development uh, into sexual integrity. What have been your challenges? What steps have you taken? Mm. Um, are there areas that are not yet uh, redeemed and transformed? Are there places in the last months or years that you've struggled? And how could we help as part of your training, as part of your mm. licensing process, help you in this area? Because I think that's a natural time to ask those questions, but more than ask the questions to have those conversations to say, okay, how could we work with you to set you on a trajectory for a career in ministry? And I, I think that's the posture shift. If, if people in our licensing and ordination process felt like they're not just trying to expose sin so they can disqualify uh -huh, me from uh -huh. ministry, they're trying to expose sin so they can qualify me for ministry for a lifetime. And, and that sense of, I really believe, I could be wrong. I mean, history is easy <laughs> to, to rewrite, right? I but I believe if as a 23, 24 year old, when I was going through my licensing and ordination, mm. that licensing group, had they said, Nick, because I acknowledged it. I said, yeah, I've had struggles mm -hmm. with pornography, but I also knew how to kind of talk it up and say, oh, I'm working hard and I'm doing yeah, these yeah. things. Yeah. And, and they didn't really have any other pathways to help. So they're like, okay, great. Keep doing mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. but, but had they been able to see, hey, you've acknowledged this as an issue. Here's a process we have in place to help you. We'd like you to take it. I would have, I would have thanked them. Yeah, I was, I wanted someone to help me, but no one knew any better than I did. So it was more, yeah, keep praying, keep reading your Bible, keep having accountability, mm -hmm. which accountability in and of itself has never changed anyone. I would like to mention that, that the answer to this is not get a better accountability mm -hmm. partner. Like, yes, accountability is part of the process, but it's a part. And if all we have is accountability, usually we just become good at being honest with that same person mm -hmm. to say, yeah, I'm still struggling. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and your next yeah, point I, ties to that. We, we should require... We should require ongoing emotional and relational training for all Christian leaders. Yeah. Uh, I, I, so you're not just you're not just a, approaching young guys on the front end of ministry or, or gals, but it's it's an ongoing opportunity yeah. to uh, to look at yourself. Uh, the next one is we must offer clear pathways of hope and healing for those who struggle. Yeah, I think when it's discovered that someone is trapped in an area like this, and it doesn't even need to be sexual sin, maybe mm. they're trapped in something with their finances, or they're an angry person, to, to really address those things and say, we want to help by providing a, a pathway of counseling, or I, I think that the danger we have is we want the quick fix. And so we maybe throw a book at them, or we send them to a weekend um, and a weekend seminar can be great, you know, some kind of intensive, but let's be honest, if a person has developed these patterns and habits for 10, 20, 30 years, a weekend of addressing it will not change their brain or their behavior mm -hmm. long-term. There, there needs to be a pathway of ongoing care and experts who are helping them be transformed, not just, well, we went to this great one weekend marriage intensive and now we'll be fine. Like mm -hmm. we, we need pathways that say, we're continuing to walk with you in this healing, uh, healing journey. Yeah. Great. And then the last one is we need to promote a place of true accountability for, for every leader. Um, so yeah, any, any final thoughts as we wrap up here, this has been a great conversation. I know this is going to be extremely helpful uh, for, for people. And again, I, you know, looking to not, not just to understand why this happens, but how, uh, how we should learn from it and how this personally can be challenging. Uh, so any, any final thoughts? I think one of the thoughts I would want to leave with people is maybe to ask us all the question, what is it in us that wants our leaders to be perfect? We, we want them mm -hmm. to have it all figured out. We want them to have this excellence in their faith. That's like way beyond where we're at. And I wonder why that is that mm -hmm. is there a part of us that wants to believe somebody out there has figured out how to do faith perfectly. And if mm -hmm. they have figured it out, maybe there's hope for me. Because really to allow our leaders to be human beings is a little bit frightening, but I think also liberating. Mm -hmm. When we recognize they're a leader, not because of their perfection or performance, they're a leader because of their gifting and their skills and their call, but they're still a human going through a process of sanctification, just like the rest of us. And in, in some ways, I think that sets up leadership the way it's meant to be. Not that you lead me because you're better but say you, you lead me because that's your role and I serve here because that's my role in calling. And yet at the same way, we are all equal because we're the family of God, that there's no greater or lesser that we're all the body of Christ and with different roles, different calls, different skills, 
but together in our need for grace in our need for transformation and in our need for addressing the messy parts of our life, because we all have them, whether we're the leader or the, the brand new Christian, that if we could embrace that, I think it would create a, a kind of health in the church that would really benefit us in every area. And so this isn't just about exposing sexual sin and getting that out of leadership. I think it's about a total paradigm shift of the church, getting back to being the church, the body of Christ, where we are together equal, equal in our sin and our need to find sanctification, and then equal in our pursuit of how we serve Christ and use our gifts and skills to honor him. Yeah. Uh, that's wonderful. Yeah, I'm back to the Bonhoeffer quote that we're uh, we're, we're sinners together. Uh, yeah, there's a there's a, a huge sigh of relief when someone we look up to confesses their sin, and we uh, uh, we we probably we relate to that much more than someone who we think has, has developed such a high standard of of spiritual maturity that uh, we think, oh wow, I wish there's no way I'll ever be like that. But when someone does confess, um, I, I think it does something for us that's refreshing, renewing, points us to the gospel, reminds us of what Christ has done for us. Uh, I mean, he's the only perfect one, right? And he yeah. took on himself our sin, and that's, uh, that's where the hope and healing uh, happens. So, well, Nick, great conversation. Thank you so much for, for taking the time to talk about this, and may the Lord continue to, to use you and encourage you as you uh, not just live in Portland, but uh, continue in this kind of kind of ministry. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> that, I appreciate that, having me on, Mitch. And I, I hope the conversation will help many of us use the the horrible news of Ravi Zacharias and use it for good. That it would have yeah, a, a redemptive amen. outcome in the church. Yeah, excellent. Thank you so much, Nick. Thanks. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Before You Quit podcast. If you have any comments or questions about anything we've talked about today on the Before You Quit, you can email me at beforeyouquit.us, mitch at beforeyouquit.us. Until next time, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all of that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged.